Support for today's show comes from The James Altucher Show. What do Paul Reiser, Tiffany Haddish, Mark Cuban, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and hundreds more have in common? They are all on The James Altucher Show. James is screwed up and needs advice from his heroes. For some reason, they talk to him. Subscribe to the James Altucher Show podcast, the James Altucher, A-L-T-U-C-H-E-R, show. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam. I am also known as Schmitty the Champ. And I am also, also all the way caught up on the television show Grey's Anatomy. The ABC Network show about doctors in Seattle, the show featuring McDreamy in the past, McSteamy in the past, now featuring McWidow. They, they just rolled him out. I'm really excited. That's no joke. I've seen all of it. And here's a statistic for you, not counting webisodes and the other extra stuff. There are 351 episodes of Grey's Anatomy spread across 15 and a half seasons as of this podcast release. I've seen it all. And uh, let me let me tell you something. Now that we've made this episode of the podcast, there is a part of me and it's not a rational part of me, but there is a part of me that feels like I have gained a useful skill that will help people out. I'm probably wrong, but here's why. The topic of today's show is Times Pop Culture Accidentally Taught People to Save Lives. One more time, that topic is times that pop culture accidentally taught people to save lives. Because we have a slew of stories where consuming a piece of pop culture led someone to possess a skill that came in handy in real life, like a life-savingly real-life application. And it happens a lot. It doesn't happen all of the time all over the world, but it happens often enough that some part of me thinks I picked up a doctor thing from Grey's Anatomy that's going to help. I'm sure I've learned much more about romance, mainly, uh, and also giving people dramatic looks when you're mad at them. But it's a, a show I like, and we have stories today from all kinds of people who watched a movie or saw a TV show or played a video game that led them to, in the future, save a life in an incredibly surprising way. And this phenomenon, uh, the fact that it happens, is one of the ways being alive is more interesting than people think it is. It's also a positive and upbeat way that being alive is more interesting than people think it is. I am so glad we can share that with you today. And I'm also so glad I'm joined by fun, upbeat, wonderful guests for this episode. One of them is a favorite of our podcast, comedian Caitlin Gill. I highly recommend her debut stand-up comedy album. It is entitled Major. The cover is Caitlin with her dog named Major. Uh, and it's sold and streaming anywhere you hear good comedy. We will have links in the food notes to acquire and listen to that stand-up. And my other guest is an incredible comedy writer and an old pal. Uh, his name is Alex Watt, and he has written for everything from College Humor to MTV to The New Yorker. Also, his uh, his Twitter and his social media comedy, it really makes me happier to be on the internet. He'll especially take, like, junky pop culture stories from The New York Post or Page Six or something and have a very funny reaction to it in a very uh, pure, great way that I really like. I feel like I'm not describing it perfectly, but we will have links in the food notes to examples of him being great. Both these guests are, are the exact right people I want to talk to about this phenomenon that I think is an exciting piece of news about the world. 
and you don't need any more setup than that, so please sit back or sit with two internet tabs open, right? Because you're going to want to use Netflix to see the first 15 seasons of Grey's Anatomy, then use Hulu to dig into the current 16th season. You'll have some ads, but it's worth it. And hold off on that TV streaming, because here's this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Caitlin Gill and Alex Watt. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. As a child of television and movies, I feel like I'm aware that this happens, but I haven't connected it as a thing Yeah, because almost all of my useful knowledge was acquired from like the background of some movie or something, some character said an exposition where I was like, remember that, that's how you save a life someday. And I mean, I guess I learned a lot in school, but I didn't take a how to accidentally save a life class. So any knowledge I have (laughs) for emergency situations, largely based on pop culture, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like growing up, it was very night and day. It was like either you are doing your homework or you are watching TV. And yes. one is good and one is bad. And that's it. There's no there's no overlap. There's no positives to the TV there or negatives PBS. to the homework. There was like, oh, yeah, you know, there. <laughs> that's the overlap. It's public television. Yeah. We're just doing your homework while you're watching TV, which is what I did. And didn't really work out great for me, but it is, you, you can do both, you know? it's You just have to be dedicated to a life of uh, mediocrity, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and being able to kind of accurately reference something. Exactly. Being real ha- I guess you're handy at a, a pub quiz. That is weird. It's a whole generation ready for a pub quiz. I think I know exactly one part of that. Is That's, that's us. <laughs> exactly. And I feel like just like by the existence of pop culture, like it gave me something to do. So I never really needed my life to be saved. Like I thought it was pretty much just in front of the TV or like on the computer. Think of the untold lives television have saved exactly that way. You're exactly. so right. What a meta life-saving device. Yeah, like I'm going to go eventually and probably faster because of it, but at least not like instantly, you know, gradually right. over time. <laughs> Do I die in the extreme sporting accident I might have gotten into if I had stopped watching TV and gotten into extreme sports? I like that if I wasn't watching TV, I'd most definitely be a <laughs> radical athlete. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, get, I definitely get that vibe. Yeah, we'd probably just be like the Tony Hawks of our generation, if if not for television. But <laughs> The measure yeah. of sarcasm in I get that vibe was so perfectly dosed that I just had to stop and acknowledge it. <laughs> And maybe maybe a good one to start with here is, I think, Caitlin, you picked this out from The Simpsons. This is one where not only is it a piece of pop culture that taught people to save lives, it taught it extremely passively because the episode doesn't focus on this uh, at all. Oh, the episode doesn't focus on it at all. In fact, it is the opening joke of the episode, which any Simpsons fan, which someone who spends a lot of time on the couch probably is, will recognize. The opening joke never has anything to do with the rest of the plot. In the scene that saved a life, Homer is eating a box of donuts greedily in front of his co-workers, far too many of the donuts, far too fast. One gets wedged in his throat. He begins choking quite acrobatically. There's some drool. It's an early episode. I feel like early and late episodes share a little common grossness that was kind of lost in the middle. But yeah, it's gross. He's he's drooling a little bit, staggering around. His co-workers have seen him choke too many times on donuts to care that much or to know what to do. They look about for help or perhaps an explanation. Recall a first aid poster see it, it is a diagram of a man getting CPR 
or, or, or excuse me, yeah. the Heimlich maneuver and a lobster launching from his mouth, which what a way to go. You know, that's a oh. king's death. <laughs> Don't deny a man a king's death. <laughs> that or a big medieval turkey leg. Yeah, 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 yeah. like the bone. Uh, <laughs> but it's a lobster that goes launching out in the poster and Lenny sees it and goes walking toward it, or at least you assume he's going to go get instructions for how to do the Heimlich. But instead, softball sign-ups. That's what he sees. Softball <laughs> sign-ups. And from there, a great Simpsons episode is launched, wherein Homer plays a lot of stuff. We're talking softball. From Maine to San Diego, talking softball. Matting Land, I think that's all I can legally sing. Probably less than that. You can edit, right? You can edit. <laughs> Just but, a long beep instead of all that. Yeah. <laughs> if I recall correctly, and I was scrolling in my phone, but also trying to remember an episode of The Simpsons making me the worst oldest millennial ever. I believe in the article, this was a stranger that was saved, right? Am I correct? It was a classmate. It a was classmate. Uh, so uh, a stranger. Yeah, more or less. So this uh, Simpsons episode came out in 1992. It's Homer at the Bat, which is season three, episode 17. So really early on. And then all the way in 2007, there was a, a British 10-year-old named Aidan Bateman uh, who saw a classmate choking on a ham sandwich. The lunch ladies were just trying to pat the kid on the back. So instead, Aidan ran in and did the ladies? Heimlich. Come, Come on. on. You, you're, yeah. you're a lunch lady. You got some. I'm. I have a lunch lady build. You flip the kid <laughs> upside down and you shake him. No kids going out on your ham sandwich on your watch. I'm disappointed <laughs> in these. The reputation of lunch ladies worldwide. But yeah, no. Nope. Get that anger out. It required a a virtual stranger in the way of a classmate, a ten year old, to run over and, and do the motion that was seen in the poster for but a moment before softball signups were noticed. It's such a good gag because the poster is up for such a short time, but the joke is so solid that you'll never forget it. Yeah, You know, right. the, the misdirect away from the poster, the lobster, it's, it's it's got everything Simpsons, which is two jokes more than you needed because it was already a good joke. <laughs> Bravo to that 10-year-old for his taste in reaching back for undoubtedly his parents' copy, the DVD copy of the third season of The Simpsons. We'll have a food note to the, uh, the cracked article, but also a video of the clip. Uh, this comes from six TV shows shows you won't believe save people's lives by Simon Bower and it is like like you say it was a really really brief look at that poster just to execute that misdirect joke that he he doesn't care about his choking friend it's about so softball good. It's so uh, good. But then a kid remembered the entire Heimlich maneuver from seeing it and thinking of it. It's crazy. I mean the Heimlich maneuver is also just like sort of wrench a guy and hope for the best. Like both <laughs> yeah. the, I, there's <laughs> There's a weird press around the Heimlich, but it is a good maneuver and it has saved lives. It is also not, it's, it's a point. There are other, <sighs> I, mean, I, I don't mean to debunk it because I want people to save lives and I guess it works some of the time. No, Someone's no. choking, go for it. That's, no. uh, that's my, my, that's what I have to, someone's choking, go for it. No, you're pro-choking and we're recording <laughs> yeah, that no. now. Yeah, yeah, uh, isolate that audio sense. to really narrow down my pro-choking stance. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of feel like having the Heimlich maneuver done to you must be such an unpleasant experience that you're just kind of like, let me get this out of here. Like, I remember being like Aiden's age, like this boy who saved his, his friend and like in school myself and uh, my buddy Tommy was choking on like a polio cheese stick type thing. And oh, I remember man. just like giving him what I thought was a Heimlich maneuver. And there's no way I got it right. But like, oh, I feel yeah, like yeah. it's pretty much just like hugging someone hard, which is, I guess, a nice way to look at it. Hugging saves lives. It doesn't. That is sweet. Or breaks the ribs and they still choke. What? I'm sorry, what snack? Because Alex, you were like, yeah, uh -huh, that's a snack. But what it's cheese? Polio cheese stick, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were in like, yeah. we weren't supposed like to be in the cheese. bathroom. Yeah, but we were eating that's cheese That's a string cheese brand. Bathroom. 
And what were you saying? You were eating it in the bathroom? Yeah, we were in the bathroom, and like he started choking, and then like I gave him like me and this dude, other dude Kenny, were like giving him like uh, you know <laughs> in the ribs, in the chops, and he eventually spit up the cheese. But like we weren't supposed to be in the bathroom, so I never brought it up. I never got like a good write up like this kid, man. Aiden has good PR people. I feel like. <laughs> They should be talking about me on some podcast, not this kid. You and Aiden are getting exactly the same level of exposure right now. It's not I mean, same. in this moment. But you did miss the press cycle, but... I had to bring it up. You know, I was trying to hint to you guys to maybe bring it up, but I had to go and uh, do it myself, I guess. But it, you had to hide it because the food was contraband. Like, no one can know. Oh, and yeah. you couldn't be... Did you go to the bathroom to snack? Uh, yeah, we were just like chilling in the bathroom. Like, I could, With like, your string cheese. It was like boys VIP will be boys, area. man. Yeah, it was... You know how boys are just always eating cheese in the bathroom. <laughs> like, because also I, I remember being a 10-year-old boy and I didn't want to like hug my buddies publicly. That was not a thing we did, you know? So it's it's really, it's a real, le- it takes like some some boldness to go ahead and Heimlich somebody and Aiden and then also Watt in this secret situation. You, got, you guys did it because it was uh, that important. I mean, I'll let Aiden get all the credit, but yeah, it's pretty much, you know, when, when it's your buddy going down, you're just like, all right, let me uh, do a, like a body slam or whatever, whatever it takes to save their life. We got another story here that's a cartoon teaching life-saving, and it it uh, involves a lobster because this is a uh, same cracked article. There was an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants in 2002. It was called SpongeGuard on Duty, and there was a kid named Reese Ronsaray who was eight years old in Long Valley, New Jersey, and he had seen this episode, and it's an episode where there is a sexy lobster lifeguard <laughs> named Larry, and Larry uh, saves SpongeBob a couple of times from drowning, uh, even though they're under the sea. It's very confusing. But uh, he saves him by wrapping a big lobster arm around his shoulders and then leg paddling back to to the shore to safety. And so in New Jersey, meanwhile, Reese sees a five-year-old named Andrew Gentile struggling in a man-made lake. And then Andrew's mother tries to save him and she starts struggling. And then what happens is Reese goes out there and does the thing he saw the lobster lifeguard do, puts his arm around five-year-old Andrew and then paddles to safety with his legs and uh, saves his life. Wow. Because he got the the basic uh, like form and and format and idea from a lobster lifeguard in SpongeBob. That's incredible. That's super impressive. Like I've seen swimming in movies, but I'm still terrible at it. Like I watched the Olympics, <laughs> but I, like I can barely stay afloat. I'm not giving like uh, Michael Phelps run for his money. So this kid, like he might just be a natural athlete. That's pretty remarkable. That's true. It's a lot of like at eight. I mean, I, I was not a very uh, strong or powerful eight-year-old, but eight-year-olds <laughs> generally don't have the strength to like move a whole other person out of the water. And this kid was just that committed and uh, fueled by SpongeBob. Luckily, the water is like the only place an eight-year-old could drag you around in. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're if your you know limp body needed to be maneuvered by an eight-year-old, go for the water. I understand the extra element of risk, what with the drowning. But if you really got to move uh, and you're a human body, I'm going to need to be <laughs> afloat. So compliments to that eight-year-old. And yeah, it's, it, I feel like there was some animator that was like, I got to draw a lobster lifeguard pulling someone out of the water. So like, how do I get this? The, there's like four other legs, six other legs. And <laughs> doing so, so he'd have his claw. 
around. Okay, yeah. So what would a lifeguard? And then watched a video of like what a lifeguard would do for like some kind of reference. Like not thinking an eight year old is going to need to have accurate form. I'm going to need yeah. this lobster to demonstrate accurate form so I can save a life someday. But nope, just like how do I? Okay, so I guess all the other legs could like wave a little bit. Okay, I think I got it. There we go. And that's cut two. An alive five-year-old. Well done. Well done, animator. Absolutely. <laughs> Way to look for an accurate reference so that your lobster lifeguard could do, could do its job. <laughs> what a commitment to the craft to like get the swimming strokes down perfectly. Like they probably could have had it in like a week earlier, but then we're just like, <laughs> you know, I really got to get this right. Like they're they, now they could probably show their boss, but like at the time, man, that's a commitment. I, I respect that a lot. Yeah, I remember. I remember being a kid and seeing a behind-the-scenes thing about the Lion King. And it showed the Disney animators watching an actual lion move mm-hmm. and just kind of taking notes so then they could properly do a lion. Like I'm, now I'm imagining the SpongeBob animator like out on the sea, like waiting for a disaster and then watching the lifeguard. You know, it's a lot of labor to to get this uh, Drowning sexy in front lobster of the lobster. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Hoping for the best. For the listening audience, I did a, an odd little physical act out of that where I kind of bobbed in the water. Waiting for a lobster. Yeah. I really thought that commitment would, no, would it, help. It brought Maybe it the audio life. of my motion. <laughs> Pretty extreme. Yeah. Let's look at another story here. This is not from a cartoon, but why you pick this one out? Because uh, there's an episode of The Office where there's CPR training happening in The Office. And then it worked out for them. It, it really uh, saved their life. Oh, yeah. Thanks to a CPR demonstration in a season five episode of The Office titled Stress Relief, a 21-year-old auto technician from Tucson, Arizona, Cross Scott, uh, no relation to Michael, um, was able to right. perform the life-saving technique on a woman he found slumped over her steering wheel. Despite having no formal first aid training, Scott was able to recall from the episode that the uh, most effective rate for CPR, chest compressions, can be achieved by pressing along to the beat of the BGs, staying alive, which is, as we all know, 100 beats per minute. <laughs> or not, but... If you uh, see anyone slumped over their steering wheel, just remember the BG song, or... Stay in a lot. I won't. I don't want to get any copyright infringement. So Google it, buy it on <laughs> iTunes, support the artist, and then know that you're going to save a life someday, probably. Maybe the weirdest part of the story, which you picked out, that the real person's name is Cross Scott, which is the same last name as Michael Scott from The Office. This is the U.S. Office, uh, <laughs> not the British one. And yeah, there's there's that episode where they're doing CPR training, and if, if people don't remember, like it gets out of hand, and then uh, Dwight is wearing the the dummy's mask on his face like Hannibal Lecter. Uh, but there's a part where the CPR trainer character teaches them that the song "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees is at 100 beats per minute as a piece of music, and you can do chest compressions to that rate. What's the weirdest part of the story is the woman he saved. Her name was Dwight Schrute. So, <laughs> what a coincidence! If you really love saving lives, but you really hate disco, I mean, it's so on the nose. Staying alive. I mean, that's the song that to remember. Staying <laughs> yeah. alive is right in the title. But there are actually many songs, many oh. smash hits that have that same beat-for-minute structure, super familiar. There is a a CPR playlist, more than one, in fact, that I super enjoy. Available lots of places, but the one I am scrolling through, I mean, so many. Eye of the Tiger, that works. It's oh. a, I, uh, 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 
rivals. You know, uh, there's uh, there's if so many. If you're listening at home, we are all in a circle giving each other CPR. Yes, really yes, fast. we are. That's what uh, happens every time you do it. And every time you hear these songs now, it's going to happen. Well, I thought, what about breakfast at Tiffany's? You remember, I can't do it. I don't sing at all. But there's so many songs that have that structure. It will really, oh my God, uh, I've had the time of my life from Dirty Dancing, which I won't even disrespect. I'm trying to find the right part. Oh, yeah, I guess it's the whole, the time of my life. It's the every beat. Where it, they all work. There are so many. I feel like I can go out better than that uh, on this theme. But, <laughs> oh, my God, Du Hast by Rammstein. Du, du Hast. <laughs> du Hast mich. That's a really good one. That's a good one for it, honestly. There's lots of good CPR songs. So if you've been avoiding remembering that because of the disco beat, you can select anything, really. I feel like time in your life... Is a tricky one though, because I feel like I would just be going like I press, like had press. The time. I know. <laughs> like I guess it's, you got to get to like the part where they it really breaks down. They start dancing. Right. <laughs> it can only be the bridge. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> right, you just wait to start CPR because you're like, no, there's instrumental bars first. It's like the karaoke <laughs> screen where it's just instrumental. Like, oh well, I can't do it. Okay. So <laughs> many of these take on a different meaning. Doctor Feelgood works. He's the one they call Dr. Feelgood. He's the one that makes you feel all right. That one works. There's uh, Sweet Home Alabama works, which is crazy. Because uh, oh. that also now sounds like you're trying to not go to Sweet Home Alabama. Like you're really trying to not go home to the proverbial eternal home. Uh, it just also, changes all the mbop somehow gets more sinister. Uh, like you really want that heart to go mbop again. <laughs> bop, damn it. Bop. You can't bop. hurry, love. <laughs> These are becoming tragic songs. Fly by Sugar Ray. Fly? No, don't. I love that there are so many options in the context of the joke in the episode of The Office because there's one part where they they tell Michael, like, okay, you can use the song Stayin' Alive for the, the rhythm of chest compressions. And he's like, great. And then he starts doing the lyrics of I Will Survive because he's stupid. <laughs> uh, but it's it's like that thing we're describing where it's way too slow. He, he just does, like, at first I was afraid. It's just one press. And it's, they're going to die, you know. Uh, but there's so many songs you can do it with. And The Office taught an actual person to do it right in uh, real life. It's amazing. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> yeah. And it, so it was in January of 2019, Cross Scott finds a woman passed out, breaks a back window, opens the woman's door, revives her using the staying alive rhythm and had never had actual CPR training. He just uh, watches The Office on Netflix a lot like we all do. <laughs> the fact that he had no formal CPR training is amazing because I feel like I am CPR certified. Again, not the oh, good. He knows more than <laughs> I do. Like I don't remember anything from my CPR training. I just remember being like really nervous that they might make me like do mouth to mouth to the dummy in front of everyone. And like, oh. I feel like that anxiety just made me like wipe out everything I learned from that hour plus course. Like just so nervous the entire time. They're like, all right, Alex, you're going to have to come up here and like, you know, smooch the dummy back to life. And I don't know, like maybe you're better off just watching The Office. No offense to the Red Cross. <laughs> And then we got more stories here. Uh, some of these are from various movies. And uh, Kaylin, you picked this one out because that old chestnut Titanic uh, oh, from 1997. It was a pretty popular movie. And <laughs> you might it have was... come across it. <laughs> and it actually helped some sailors in real life, which is amazing. This made me so happy. And it was in 2004. So, like, they either saw it when they were teens and there was no not seeing it. 
Right. Or they're romantics and have it on DVD or like the old VHS where you had to like switch out the VHS. If Titanic was a comedy of errors, and wasn't it though? What happened on this boat? Undoubtedly also a comedy of errors. It seems like perhaps you take sea safety a little bit more seriously after reading the story. It was the captain of a boat called the, or a ship, a craft a vessel. Yeah, it was a, a chemical tanker. A chemical very tanker. industrial boat. Yes, a very in- a, a seafaring vessel called the Bow Mariner. The captain said, "Hey, crew, go clean out those big old tanks." And the tank, the crew was like, "Yeah, sure," but I think they have gas in them. And the captain was like, "Whatever, gas. It's that's just funny. It'll <laughs> sound like farts, I guess." And they did. They had gas. And uh, when you release gas in a contained space, it's like un. It's unsafe, and, and they were at sea, and then it, there was a kaboom, and a, as I understand, a fire. And they didn't clear the flammable stuff properly out of 22 separate tanks on the ship, which meant the ship uh, caught on fire really fast. One side of the lifeboats were burning, and then the other side were out of reach because the ship was tilting because it was going to sink. All the lifeboats, again, this is not a safety-focused crew, they all went to the left of the ship and they were out of reach. You couldn't, They couldn't get them. Much of the crew decided they were just going to flee the boat. I guess try, get off. But a few crafty crew members looked at each other across the boat and the ages and remembered that love is eternal and only one movie captured what love truly is. And that movie was going to be the key to the survival for at least one of them, even though there was room for all of them on that door. They... <laughs> So they scuttled up to the boat, the part of the boat that was still above the water, and waited as long as they could as it kind of sunk to jump off and manage to make it to the life rafts. And as I, they were, uh, there were only, oh yeah, six survivors total and three used that, that strategy. That's what it took to a scuttling to the top of the boat and then waiting until they could jump off onto the lifeboats. Yeah, because I think with Titanic, everybody remembers the door thing, but there are other, I guess, safety tips you can pick right. up from it. And one of them is that some of the people in the movie do a thing that's apparently real, where they hung onto the railing of the ship as long as they could while that Titanic ship was sinking down really fast. And oh, then wow. at the very last minute, jumped into the water from like a much lower uh, height, you know, and that was right. a smart thing to do. And so these guys remembered that from the James Cameron epic <laughs> that's two tapes. And uh, it, it helped them survive. It's amazing. No yeah. doubt. I mean, maybe the SpongeBob animator was like, how would a lifeguard do this? But you absolutely know James Cameron researched every, he crashed three real boats. He sunk. <laughs> he absolutely made people dangle from the edge yeah. of a boat just to test it. He built a brand new kind of boat just to break in half so he could break it at the bottom of the ocean and then bobble back up to the top. I never have to like his movies. I, I do enjoy his ambition. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so fun. And I feel like he would hear the story and be like, of course, of course, Titanic has saved lives. If I could only explain to you how many lives on how many planets have been saved by Avatar. <laughs> this is like maybe a little grim, but if you were in their situation, you're clinging onto the boat. Do you think you'd have the Celine Dion song stuck in your head the whole time? How cruel. <laughs> I feel what like a horrible I would be way to go out. That. Yeah, like, I don't know. I'd be hanging on to maybe I, I get a better song stuck in my head. Maybe, you know, Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. That's, you know, a little <laughs> bit more upbeat. <laughs> That'll get the blood flowing. You're not going to have hypo- hypothermia while uh, you're rocking out to that. <laughs> I feel like we are finding a real thing where... As time goes on and people have more and more pop culture at their fingertips all the time, there will be more and more situations where 
people are in a life threatening experience and they their first thought is a movie or a TV show. Most like definitely. in these cases, it saved people. But that is also strange. You know, like <laughs> your house is on fire and you're like, oh, yeah, the backdraft ride at Universal or whatever. You know, that's a weird, it's <laughs> a weird take on it. Line. You didn't even go backdraft the film. <laughs> oh, no, I haven't seen it. Specifically the live attraction. No one's seen it. It's like Waterworld, man, which yeah. I think is gone now. <laughs> There's another story here, and and this is coming from Six Incredible Ways Movies Accidentally Saved Lives by Sarah Phillip on Cracked. This is a story where there's the 1978 movie Halloween, the like sort of first slasher movie. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is playing Laurie Strode. And in the movie, there's a part where Michael Myers is chasing her. So she flees to a neighbor's house and then stabs him with a knitting needle. And then in real life in 1982, there was a young man in Mill Valley, California named Joseph Scott, uh, who was visiting a relative. And then a very sad thing happened. There was a knife wielding home invader at the relative's place, which is crazy. And the first thing Scott thought of was Halloween that he had seen a few years ago. (laughs) And so he grabbed knitting needles from the trash and ran to a neighbor's house and hid. And he didn't have to fight them from there, but he survived because he immediately thought of Jamie Lee Curtis's plan in the movie and was able to act more quickly and get out of there instead of being murdered by a crazy home invader. Well done. If you're going to follow any character in a horror movie, it's Laurie Strode. Almost everybody else eats it. So yeah, find figure out what what would Lori do. Probably the right answer <laughs> yeah, in that Laurie circumstance. Do? What would Kevin McAllister do? Not exactly oh, like yeah. a horror yes. movie, but that's that's kind of my plan. I got like booby traps. I love that detail in the article that like this man had taken the needles from the trash. Like yeah. he, had, <laughs> he yeah. just had these sewing needles in the garbage and was like, "All right, goodbye. I'm done with this hobby." And then like, what what luck <laughs> that he gave up on it like not a day earlier or something. Yeah, Niggers, I, will you tweet at me and tell I'm um, at Caitlin Robot Caitlin. I couldn't remember for a second. I'm at Robot Caitlin. <laughs> why? Why would you have to throw away your knitting needles? What level of wear yeah. do you part with your knitting needles at? And if your knitting <laughs> needles are at a stage where they are now disposable, are they still strong enough to kill a knife wielding home invader? I'm just curious. Yeah. Maybe the true hero is Joseph Scott's relative who like angrily gave up on knitting <laughs> right before this happened. Because I don't know why I throw him out either. That's weird. Cross this, this shit right on the garbage. I'm bad at this. God damn, this sweater sucks. I don't even fucking care anymore. <laughs> I also, it would have been fun if you said the wrong Twitter account. So then just some person we don't know <laughs> is getting a bunch of tweets about knitting as a way to fight people. Uh, <laughs> I feel so sorry for anyone who has my name. There was, for some, when I was younger, there was a soccer player. There's someone about my same age who was very good at soccer, which meant in the early part of our lives, she would excel in any sort of online search result. But oh, yeah. my skills got staying power. <laughs> so I, I'm now, the, I'm the Caitlin Gill you find when you go googling Caitlin get nobody does Well, and there's also there's an addendum to this uh, Halloween story because Joseph Scott was it, it seems like in his teens or early 20s when this happened. And so then lately they've made more Halloween movies like they did a reboot uh, sort of continuation movie in 2018. And Jamie Lee Curtis and the cast were doing press for it. And then Joseph Scott showed up to one of the events and told Jamie Lee Curtis this whole story of like, hey, you basically uh, indirectly saved my life. And they got to hug and, and share a moment. <laughs> and uh, apparently the 2018 movie is really centered on trauma 
drama as a theme. And so like it really spoke to him. And I don't know, it's a really it's cool that I think with maybe none of these other stories did the people get to talk to or thank the uh, artists. You know, it's really cool. It just occurred to me because I read that and was like, that's sweet. And I bet Jamie Lee Curtis fucking loved that. I'm sure (laughs) it seems like she did. Yeah. But also, yeah, like Laurie Strode on the movie is like you know, horribly chased by the trauma in her life. Of course she is. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, the guy who had to run away from the home invader with a knife probably is unpacking some trauma too. <laughs> like, yeah, I can see how the theme from that most recent Halloween would really resonate. Yeah, I can see yeah. how that film would have a pretty deep emotional impact. <laughs> I'm just there eating popcorn. But yes, I can see how someone else might would connect with it in that circumstance. Especially because I feel like that knife home invader thing is like mostly in movies. It does happen in life, but it's almost much more of a slasher movie thing. And yeah. so if that happens to you, then every slasher movie, you're like, oh, there it is again. And I, that's the people I have to talk to about it. Yes. Yeah. There's no way, like, are you even enjoying it at that point? Or are you just like, oh, idiot, they don't know how to do this. If I was there, I'd stab them again with my son, <laughs> uh, crochet needle. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's another question. Which needle is most ideal for fighting off an attacker? Is there a difference between a crocheting and a knitting needle? I have so many questions that could yeah. easily be Googled, but knitters, I bet no one's asking you. So take <laughs> advantage of this opportunity to talk about your hobby. Yeah, tweet it to soccer player Caitlin Gill right now. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to know. That is a, it's so cool that he was able to thank uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis. I know I would like to thank her for, you know, those Activia yogurt ads because I feel like, <laughs> you know, she got a lot of crud for, you know, doing those, but I saw that and Were you going to say crap? Oh, uh, I you know I don't I don't know if were this you gonna is, say she got a lot of crap? She got a lot of yeah, we'll say it crap uh-huh. for uh, doing these because uh, it's a yogurt that makes you crap. Oh, I see. Sorry, I... it's, it's a poop yogurt. It was making oh. a poop yogurt joke. That's my bad. Oh. I'll see myself out. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I'll just get the whole. The door was locked, or I would have done a sound effect. <laughs> Another story here from a movie that I think fits pretty well, and and why you pick this one out, because this is springing from the movie Black Panther 2018. We we all saw Black Panther, and it actually helped a a real-life kid not die, basically. After being uh, attacked by a swarm of wasps and falling out of his treehouse, uh, 11-year-old Xavier Cunningham found himself impaled through the head by a metal skewer. Uh, Yikes. So rough. And you know it only took like 30 seconds. The whole thing took like, it was so fast. Wasps, ah, thud, ow! That was the whole thing. Yeah, up in a treehouse, wasps, falls, skewer through the head. Crazy. Yikes. But despite having this uh, skewer in his head, he was able to uh, think back at uh, Black Panther, which had uh, just come out. And uh, in Black Panther, spoiler alert, the antagonist dies after uh, a spear that he got stabbed with. He takes it out and then he's just like, oh, I'm dead. And he was thinking back to what uh, Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger did. He's the bad guy. And he opted to let the skewer stay in his head and therefore live to tell his story. Yeah. Unlike Killmonger. Again, sorry, spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have the clip in the footnotes for for people who don't remember. It's a thing where Black Panther stabs Killmonger, but then they, they could save Killmonger if he just leaves it in. And they really make a point of it in the movie. And then Killmonger chooses to die by taking it out. So the movie's really instructive about massive puncture wounds, which is <laughs> yeah. that you don't necessarily want to take it out right away if, if it's stable in there, uh, yeah, which wanna- is a medical thing. You want to keep it in. I wish they had more in the movie about wasps. I feel like we could have nipped it in the bud, you know. <laughs> if you knew, like, you know, don't run around when you're getting chased by wasps in a treehouse. You know, this doesn't doesn't make the news, but at least, you know, he's safe. But I'm glad he was able to uh, think about Black Panther. 
or like a Marvel movie about treehouse railing construction. <laughs> like uh, would, would be slow as a film, but I'll watch that though. I feel like you know, like a fun safety guide. Marvel movies should be safer. I'm you know all this dangerous activity. I want to yeah. see some uh, things where I could you know learn some life lessons, learn how to take care of myself. Because you know yeah. everything else I'm learning is not helping. I cannot shoot spider webs. I can't do <laughs> anything. You know, I, I, I'm not a millionaire or billionaire, whatever Tony Stark is. It's we need more practical superhero movies. I think those are just movies. I, you know, I like the outfits. I think that's okay, pretty cool. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah, really yeah, in yeah. For that. So movies, but better outfits. I'm here. I'm back. I'm in. Yes. <laughs> I like that. I like you know the God, the drama. There's so much to love about you know these Marvel movies. I wish more people would see them. I you know <laughs> I can go on all day, but uh, you know. I have some follow up. So leave it. Right, leave the skewer. Thank you, Black Panther. Yeah, and also, and we're not doctors, but just uh, in this case, it was helpful and it was a good thing. Yeah, right. Like it's not my medical advice to to leave the skewer, but if and if you're so you get impaled, you're supposed to leave the skewer and then go to the like go to have it removed. But the plan is to at some point you get it removed. Yes, by professionals in you a just, controlled setting, yeah. I, I have so many questions about that a, moment. All of the answers are on yeah. YouTube, and I don't want to see any of them. I feel like doctors might just be, they want to get their beak wet. They want to get that fee for taking the uh, <laughs> thing out of your head. Like, I don't know. I would try trying my luck at home. Impalement money. Exactly. Trying to get that skewered money. Yeah, it's a new boat right there. I took a skewer out of some kid's head. Black uh, Panther was co-written by Big Skewer. <laughs> <laughs> Because also this is a this story is is really miraculous because apparently the skewer went into Xavier Cunningham's head in a way where it didn't hit any totally vital brain parts and so it, it it didn't do permanent damage and also he could think and they interviewed him and he said quote I watched Black Panther at the end of it how he just takes it out and dies so I was like nope <laughs> end quote <laughs> so it inspired him to leave it in and and uh, get the most effective version of care he could get and and then he was okay it's insane. That is wild. Everything in me, if something is sticking out of my face or body, says, hey, pull that out. I mean, I saw Black Panther several times. And yeah. still, my first instinct is like, hey, get this skewer out of my face. Yeah. You really got to work on that. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard thing to override the uh, natural desire to get a skewer out of one's head. Right? Yeah. There's uh, another story here involving uh, doctors getting brought in at the right time. This is from six TV shows you won't believe saved people's lives by Simon Bower. There's a story from The X Factor, which is a UK uh, reality competition show for singing. It's like a Simon Cowell show that they do over there. They did after American Idol. And in season four of the show in 2007, there was a contestant named Jackie Gray. And uh, he's 46 years old, went out and sang and didn't sing very well. And the judges really went in on her, but in a way that turned out to be very medically valuable. Simon Cowell said uh, to Jackie Gray, quote, you have a very weird sounding voice. Are you aware of that? (laughs) And then Judge Sharon Osbourne said that Jackie Gray should see a throat specialist because it sounds like, quote, somebody else is in there, end quote. And that would all be very mean, except uh, she had a throat problem uh, that needed to get uh, worked on. Uh, She went to a doctor. They said she had bronchiectasis, which is a potentially fatal lung disease that can irreversibly damage bronchial tubes. Uh, So they diagnosed it, gave her medication, and and she uh, got it treated and recovered and was okay. That, man. Yeah. Because Simon Cowell famously just, just makes fun of people in a cruel way is what we believe. And then in this case, it was super useful. 
What if he that like she shows up at a doctor's office and the doctor's just like your throat is terrible, your throat is giving me a headache, your diseases are too many to list. I can't even begin to tell you what's wrong with your horrible body. Like that's poor woman's just cursed. Well, also for people who were not uh, watching TV in the 2000s, there was Simon Cowell and also the host of The Weakest Link were like America's mean British people. They were like the <laughs> oh, people yeah. who we turned to for cruelty on TV from British people. And it was a real era of that. So uh, so to have this story come out of it is amazing. This is also X Factor, right? The UK show? Yeah. I would think this is an American Idol thing where you go on TV to have someone unprofessionally diagnose your illness. That's a much oh. more American <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, like Shark Tank, but doctors or something. I, mean, I don't know it, what the, it, the X Factor. Like, you can go to a doctor there. You could find out what's wrong with your throat without oh, auditioning right. for American Idol <laughs> and having Simon Cal tell you on on TV. <laughs> right, because they have NHS and they take care of people. Yes, so yes. funny. Like a, a quarter of the line at American Idol is like, I wonder if he can <clears throat> tell me what's wrong. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, Randy's like, that's a no for me, dog. But then, like, yeah. also, can you check out like this thing on my back? It's, you know, it's got borders. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know. And I, I also like anytime reality TV is positive because it can be uh, sometimes. And this time it was positive. Reaching, Good. Alex. This is your active defense for reality TV. You're looking for <laughs> moments in time when it was not actively harmful. Yep. OK, cool. That's all I got. That's for fair. It. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, it was the one time, I think. One other movie here that's particularly exciting because Kayleen picked it out. This is the movie Code of the Secret Service released in 1939 <laughs> and watched by a young boy named Jerry Park. And he watched it multiple times, really loved it. This cracked me up. Ronald Reagan, man, oh, regs, made some movies, many of them terrible. I don't know. Because he was a president and an old-timey actor. He was an old-timey actor before he was a president. He was an old-timey actor at the time. He just had a very, he's just always had an old-timey <laughs> vibe. Many of the movies he was in were not good. And I, I love that, like, there's so many things happening at once in this story. So in 39, right, he's in this movie, and it's it's not good, but it is exactly good enough for a 10-year-old to see it too many times. So yeah. and he because he stars in it as a heroic Secret Service agent. And in 39, this would have been Reagan's ascension in the in the in the in SAG in the Studio Actors Guild, which actively like as time goes on through the 40s and 50s and Reagan's power grows in that sphere, uh, which actively starts blacklisting people, changing careers, lives, the stories that we tell in the course of like entertainment history as much as that can affect actual history. Reagan's like steering the boat toward yeah. evil. I'm going to say toward evil, toward evil and, you know, blacklisting. And in Congress, none of it had anything to do with communism. And it sagged. None of it had anything to do with communism. It was all just positioning enemies. So he's like essentially assassinating actor rivals career wise, left and right in from his position in the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, of course, politically biased and people on the left were just as dirty. It was a dirty time, but that was Reagan's dirtiness. And his power grows and grows. Meanwhile, a 10-year-old is like just watching the movies that come out, trudging through his life, being influenced by terrible movie after terrible movie as Reagan's real power grows. And that little 10-year-old, that seed that grew from that Secret Service movie with Ronald Reagan in it keeps sprouting. And they, what a sweet, innocent boy was not spoiled by anything else because he pushed and became a Secret Service agent Yeah. for Ronald Reagan, who crossed over from the streams of dirty acting power to dirty <laughs> real power, like through all these crazy, just what a wild time to like want to become a Secret Service agent. Uh, there were so many unique times about all those points in history where, like, 
one of the first generations wherein a 10-year-old could sit inside a giant movie house and have his life irrevocably changed by a movie he saw. What a crazy time to become a president from an actor. Like, there was this unique shot that Ronald Reagan got to take to power. For the paths to stay parallel just cracks me up. And that this noble, sweet Secret Service guy who I've just decided is noble and sweet happened to be in the right place (laughs) at the right time to defend an odd actor because someone obsessed with an actress was trying to shoot him. Oh, right. So (laughs) Yes, because Ronald Reagan's attempted assassin was wildly obsessed with Jodie Foster. Yeah, March March 30th, 1981, John Hinckley Jr. uh, shoots Ronald Reagan in Washington, D.C. And like you say, because he was obsessed with Jodie Foster. So someone obsessed with an actor shoots the former actor president. And then the Secret Service agents on the scene, one of them shoving Reagan into a limo so he could be driven to safety and medical care was Jerry Parr who as a child had decided to become a Secret Service agent because of a movie where Ronald Reagan was a Secret Service agent. In all the ways that life imitates art and art is like the stupid crossovers between movies and real life and Hollywood and fake power and real power and the ways they crash into each other are just so amusing in this story. I love that that happened. All the figures in it are maybe not, it doesn't have to be my favorite president. Uh, I don't have to. (laughs) <laughs> we were talking about how casually I will joke about how much I it, like it's cool that we all just don't like cops. Right. No, not a stance that actually everyone actively has. So I'm like, yes, Secret Service. What a wank off job. What a monster. What a jerk who wants to do. No, lots of people. It's actually a noble calling. It's pretty cool that he did. Yeah, that. it's really good. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> Uh. Oh, it's just adorable. <laughs> like a movie, a, a cash dump or a write-off or like a cash grab, a cheap way to make money, yeah. uh, influences a kid to do this crazy noble thing. I don't know. It's just hilarious. Christopher Nolan could write the script. There's too many interweaving timelines, but I really like it. Well, and we will food note more about that that overall uh, assassination and cra- a crazy person, Hinckley. And also the movie, as I think you said, Caitlin, it was a B movie and, and kind of a cash grab. And it was the movie Code of the Secret service in 1939 was a rush sequel to secret service of the air also in 1939 so they really turned (laughs) it around fast Uh, and there it ended up being a four movie franchise of really cheap slapdash uh, secret service movies this movie that Jerry Parr loves so much, apparently everyone who made it thought it was really bad. That's right. And Ronald Reagan disliked it so much that he urged the studio not to release it. The producer couldn't save it in the edit. Then they turned down doing reshoots to fix it. It ended up being a thing where Reagan was so mad about the movie that the studio voluntarily didn't release it in Los Angeles so that like people he knew in the business wouldn't see it. He was that ashamed of it. That is my favorite. But then it, then it trained a guy to help save him. I love it. It's crazy. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Like, you know, it's kind of motivational. Like, you know, put that, you know, cruddy piece of work out there. Even like, you know, the two people that watch your TikTok, they might, if they learn something from it, they could save your life with it someday. And then uh, we've got a couple more things here that are mostly from video games. So that's fun, right? Because uh, video games, especially people are like, oh, you learn nothing. You're just just wasting time clicking and button mashing. But there's one story here that why you picked out where World of Warcraft, the massive multiplayer online RPG, ended up like helping someone uh, in a really Scandinavian uh, weird situation. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. A moose attacks this 10 year old kid. Uh, It turns out to be Hans Olsen's sister. And they're walking to school. And 12 year old Hans, he springs into action and he uh, saves her life using a strategy learned while playing World of Warcraft, uh, which is called WoW by uh, my fellow gamers and I. Instead of trying to overpower the moose, which 100% would not have worked, 
Little Hans distracted the aggressor away from his weaker teammate, in this case his sister, by taunting the moose. I guess that's part of the game. You taunt mooses or bigger opponents, I think, actually. And uh, the moose, which definitely did not love being taunted by a Norwegian tween, uh, he charged at Hans, headbutts him in the back. But luckily, this kid had his school bag on, so he was fine. The moose just ran away. Like you say, it was two different moves he learned from World of Warcraft where uh, apparently when a group attacks a a hard boss or large enemy, uh, you want to spread out their aggro by like convincing them to sort of attack various party members uh, in a sort of loose, uh, disorganized way. And so he thought it would go after his sister, so he distracted it. And then he let it hit his backpack and then he pretended to uh, play dead, which is also like a, a spell in World of Warcraft. You can feign death. And that set of moves saved this little boy and his little sister from a, a wild moose in the in the forests of Norway. Yeah, I forgot that he played possum. I'm so hung up on the fact that he taunted a moose. Like, yeah. what did he say? He just called him, like, you know, antler boy or something? Like, what do you say to a moose to make it mad enough to charge you and not your little sister? You think you're the largest member of the deer family? I've seen elk bigger than you, bro. Elk. <laughs> oh, I'm Straight sorry. Straight up reindeer bigger than you. You're yeah. a tiny moose. Look at how small. Little moose. Little, little moose. That's how you talk. Moose, 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 moose. I don't know. Oh, I thought you were a deer. My bad. Yeah. yeah. That's how you, that's how you would get so it. was so cold. I mean, I went theatric with it, but again, your measured sarcasm. That was frigid. Oh, no, I thought you were a deer. Sorry. I didn't even see you there. I glanced at a deer. The reindeer angle is good, though. You know, make him start thinking about the holidays. You know, you got to be nicer to people around that time of year. You know, so true. He's not going <laughs> to. Like, I, don't, I don't even know why the moose is attacking people. Like, I guess maybe because like climate change or like ruining the world, but. A moose isn't going to eat a kid, I don't think. I mean, I don't, you know, like I said, I grew up on Long Island, not all It's a moose. It would inhale a 10-year-old. It would inhale a 10-year-old, and then you'd have to do CPR. It'd be like a little, <laughs> you have to Heimlich the moose. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I mean, they probably eat, I know they eat something. I assumed, I don't even know what I thought they might eat, like pine cones, berries. What do moose eat? Yeah. If you want to tweet that at me, what do moose eat? I would like that. Our Twitter's going to be so much fun. <laughs> According to my rapid Googling, moose mostly graze. So they wouldn't eat a kid, but I think they get very uh, aggressive and angry if you uh, approach them in the wild. And so it was the kind of thing where in Norway, if you're this little kid, Hans Olsen, uh, you'll be walking around in the woods and see moose and you got to steer clear. <laughs> also, if you're a kid in Norway, of course you're Hans Olsen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just like a kid in America named Tommy McApple Pie. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Hans. <laughs> You're a cool dude. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing to take away from the story, too, is that, like, sure, he learned something from a video game, but if he wasn't going to school, kids, he wouldn't have had his knapsack on and, you know, probably would have mm-hmm. got hurt by the moose. Like, I'm not, you know, take a moose shot to yeah. the back. That's not going to be fun. So go to school, kids. <laughs> bring your backpack. Don't leave it at home like I used to. And uh, you're going to be okay. And you'll be safe from the moose. And then uh, there's uh, one other video game to hit here. This is Grand Theft Auto V, also being played by a child. So right away, child playing a game that they're not supposed to. But uh, that game was released in 2013, GTA V. And in 2014 in Ireland, uh, there was an 11-year-old boy named Charlie Cullen uh, who was being driven home by his grandfather, Finn. But then Finn passed out at the wheel also with their foot on the accelerator. Uh, so then this little boy is with his, like, passed out grandfather in a rapidly accelerating car, 
and he's a big GTA 5 player <laughs> at 11 years old. And so that taught him enough driving skills to take the wheel and steer the car away from oncoming traffic and off the road. The car proceeded to hit a wall, and so that bloodied uh, Finn and fractured Charlie's skull, but both of them were generally okay and recovered from that and lived through it. And so there were no fatalities from this elderly driver passing out, which is amazing. Besides the helicopter he blew up with a rocket launcher, no fatalities. (laughs) Well, there's no fatalities because they just kind of disappeared from the the scene (laughs) after a minute. If you just stood around, they just sort of vanished. So that was kind of (laughs) nice. It's a really wild game, but speaking to RTE Radio 1's Brenda Donahue, Charlie said, quote, the only way I had any experience was the Grand Theft Auto game. Uh, My main thing wasn't worrying about the car or that. The main thing was to wake Papa up. End quote. Man. So he just focused on his grandpa, thanks to uh, already having driving skills from this like crazy murder game uh, to do the <laughs> nicest thing. It's really cool. That is the weirdest age for anyone, but I'm going to say maybe boys the most. Where 11? like yeah. your body is just about to do, like you think balls are really funny. You think the phrase <laughs> doing it is really funny. Like you <laughs> yes, have, that, yes, that wears off. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, yes. I mean, no, it is really funny, but that. you also have no idea what it means. You're just starting to be like, yeah, I went to third base. Like, no, you didn't, bro. You didn't. Like, you're just starting to turn into like not a child anymore, but you are still such a child. So yeah. like you're going to watch and play Grand Theft Auto and you're going to run over sex workers and take their money and have no greater social context for what's happening. Yeah. You'll have no bigger idea for what's going on. On. You'll see buxom ladies wandering up to your car and be like, I feel ways about that, but I don't know what those ways are. <laughs> and like, you'll remember all of that as your car is careening with your passed out grandpa in it. But like, that's your papa. There's so much happening to a kid yeah. at that age where you you want to play the game where you, you know, get to shoot people and run over ladies in the street. And also papa. Like, you still have a grandpop <laughs> that's like, your big guy who gives you candy. What an odd juxtaposition. What a really tough time. Is. To the 11-year-olds out there listening, guys, it doesn't get any better. It just sort of stays the same, but you get better at it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, who told you that's how it works? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And with, with all these stories we looked at, I, I feel like I am excited that pop culture can like accidentally do this. Because also in in pretty much all these cases, like like that episode of The Office, they are doing a little bit of direct teaching, but it's mainly to pay off jokes. The rest of it's just kind of accidental skills that people got. And I find that uplifting that just people can accidentally have that in their tool belt. Really cool. Oh, yeah. You passively learn all the time. It's kind of great. Yeah. Yes. Your brain's so, uh, soaking stuff up. But right. it's in there still. Maybe you need it sometime. Yeah. Keep watching TV, keep listening to podcasts, and you're going to be okay. <laughs> Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Caitlin Gill and Alex Watt for exploring the lifeguarding, heimlicking, safe driving, skewer, leaving, and then removing powers that people have acquired by sitting around, uh, you know, consuming pop culture. The thing that is supposed to be a waste of time and maybe is a waste of time a lot of the time is also handy if you are lucky. 
In our food notes, you will find the cracked articles and the outside sources, because uh, all our podcast episodes use both. You'll find all that stuff that supported this show and brought us these stories and facts and other things. One outside source I recommend in particular is the Turner Classic Movies page for the 1939 film Code of the Secret Service. Uh, I love how deeply everyone involved with that film was embarrassed by it. One story there is that Ronald Reagan and the other actors would tend to rewrite the scripts as they were filming the movie because the scripts were really just banged out to make some money. And then for some reason, they were not allowed to change the script on this movie, Code of the Secret Service. The results left Reagan to comment, never has an egg of such dimensions been laid. End quote. And yet the movie helped save his life. So what do you know? It's a fantastical world we all live in in real life. And beyond links about those stories, you will have links to find out more about our wonderful guests today. Caitlin Gill's stand-up album is entitled Major. It was recorded live at the San Francisco Punchline, and it's one of my favorite hours of comedy right now. It's just great. Also, we're linking Alex Watt's writing for The New Yorker and his Twitter account, that is at Alexander Watt, because his account is my number one source of, among many things, junky pop culture transmuted into actual funny jokes. I just love it. And beyond all that, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Ryan Connor in L.A. and Casey Holford in New York. Then it was all edited together by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. Please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever you use to listen to shows. I feel silly asking for that, but it's a completely free way you can help the show. It, it raises us in the algorithms that dominate all of media today and helps make it a continuous uh, on-the-air show. And so I'd really appreciate it if you would do that. Also, many of you have already done that, and thank you very much. You kick ass. And now for the flip side of that, if you hated this show, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media, a space that I consume more and more pop culture through. For instance, I have never seen the movie The Irishman, because uh, I'm, I'm too busy watching Greys, folks, that's what I do. Uh, but I have a sense of it via people's jokes, and I feel like that's all I need. Anyway, my own Twitter account is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitzagram. And I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. That's got my show dates, my fun email newsletter of free internet stuff tips, and more. And I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then.